You are listening to the Heavenly Chi podcast, episode number seven. Today we're talking about some of the things you can do to immediately assist a patient in distress. Hey everybody, I'm Fee Gitchen. And I'm Claire Pyers. Today, Claire and I are recording a special episode during the solar eclipse on March 8th, 2016. Sometimes you have a day where all your patients come in and they're in distress. What do you do? Do you proceed with acupuncture as usual? We decided today to change the topic we had scheduled and instead talk about some things you can do in the clinic to protect yourself, the space and your patients while assisting them with a moment of crisis. The Heavenly Chi podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment and professional development. Show notes and continuing professional development resources are found at www.heavenlychipodcast.com. You can add Heavenly Chi Podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Facebook. All links are in the show notes. We hope you enjoy today's show. Hi everybody, welcome to the show today. Um, so to, this morning uh, there is a solar eclipse in Pisces at 18 degrees and you don't need to know what that means other than perhaps if you're not already aware of understanding the astrology of eclipses, they usually tend to signify major changes in people's lives. Uh, often things start or things finish and sometimes things can really come up out of the blue to essentially get people's lives on track if you view it from the perspective of astrology and see that all these changes have a positive effect. Um, and so when we're at work in a place like a clinic and we get to see lots of people come and go, when there's something happening that might collectively affect a lot of people, especially emotionally, something like an eclipse, we tend to have a, um, the opportunity to see that happening in clinic. And this morning um, I was setting up for us to record the podcasts and Claire was seeing a few patients and how about you? Let me know what happened, Claire. Well, uh, we definitely are feeling the energy of the solar eclipse this morning in Melbourne and hopefully it dies down a bit this afternoon. But the first four patients of the day, all four of them were in acute distress when they came in. So the first patient had had a bingle with her car and had um, scraped the side of her car and was really upset about that. Um, and I thought, okay, we can we can work with that. And I just mentioned, you know, there's a solar eclipse today. There's lots going on. Be careful on your way home. Don't have another accident. And I managed to get her quite calm. She actually commented after the treatment, oh, I was trying to get worked up and worried about the car, but I couldn't. You did something with the acupuncture and it really helped me to stay calm. So she was really thankful for that. Um, but what happened in the next few, so, so she had a car crash this morning, then the next patient came in and she was, she was really in crisis. Um, she was in tears. She just got news this morning that um, a very close friend of hers had passed away. Um, the one, the patient who came after her had, um, had also had a car accident that she'd hit a pedestrian and, um, and that really shook her up quite badly. And, um, and then the next patient as well came in just feeling, feeling not right and really affected by the energy that's out there today. Mm -hmm. And so what I found myself doing in the consults this morning was 
the, my starting point for all of them had almost nothing to do with acupuncture. I found myself going for other tools first to be able to um, get them centred to make sure that I was protected so that I'm not infecting other people in the clinic and other patients with with the you know with the energy that's flying around. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really acute feeling here in the clinic this morning, as Fee was saying, she's feeling a little bit nervous and a little bit agitated by by the energy that's around. And so um, we felt it was really timely to change the topic and impromptu um, have an impromptu discussion. Mm. I mean, I, I think that when we're dealing with an individual and distress, and we get that quite frequently in clinic, um, there's things that we can do and then sometimes where we have these sort of peak moments or it might be around Christmas where there's more number of people affected um, or, yeah, with the things like an eclipse that some people might not even be aware of but it's even affecting animals out there. Um, if you're an animal watcher, you might have observed cats or dogs or birds or animals behaving a little differently when there are certain planetary alignments or conditions. Um, and just that adrenaline is quite contagious. I'm sitting here in a room by myself getting increasingly nervous about I'm not sure what <laughs> while all these distressed people are going through the clinic behind my closed door. So, yeah, I think I guess what we wanted to talk about today was just how many different tips and tricks and um, techniques we can apply when there is distress either in the space or in a number of people or just in the air even. Yeah, and I think that uh, certainly for me um, what I do find is that I'm almost, I'm really averse to using needles when someone is in acute distress. I don't feel that... um, me putting in needles at the, like as that first point of contact that I have with the person um, serves the best purpose for their energetically. I think if someone's feeling really vulnerable, mm-hmm. that um, doing something that penetrates their body um, to me doesn't feel right. And you know, I'm sure there's other ways that people can can go about this. And obviously, you know, point selection is important, but. Um, the sort of things that I go for, so the things that I did this morning, um, the patient who was in acute grief, she was really still in shock. She wasn't really in that grief stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she got squirted with some um, a bushflower essence, that, an Australian bushflower essence combination that we have in each of the treatment rooms. is called Space Clearing Mist. And one of the things that it does is that it helps to um, it helps to to re to reestablish someone's energetic boundaries and to um, to help keep energetic stuff separate. So your stuff is yours, mine's, my stuff is mine, and there's not too much overlap that goes on. And so often, quite often, I'm spraying the patient and myself with that, and that was the starting point, in fact, for all of my patients this morning. Um, then the next thing that I did with her was to, um, she just really needed to be grounded. She said, I just didn't know what to do, but I just thought, you know what, I've got to go and see Claire. And she rang up and booked in an appointment at the last minute and um, she said, I really need to feel grounded. I just, I don't know what I need. I just knew that I needed to come here. And I really felt on the spot, I thought, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Like, this is really 
you know, I, this this was a person who I I had treated a few years ago. She's since moved away, but I had treated this person, and so um, it was a real shock to me as well. Um, and so I just, yeah, using essential oils on kidney one, I thought, okay, this seems like it's going to be a good thing to do, and it really helped to ground her. Um, I think essential oils are something that um, we use a lot of in the clinic for all kinds of for all kinds of reasons. Right, right, yeah. I think this just brings up one of the points that I would uh, I find very interesting and really important when looking at what we can do in these types of situations, and that is to realise that um, someone who comes into a space with distress can affect the space and increase the distress in the space, not intentionally, but it can just leak and spread and um, but also the other way around you can change the space or the smell or the sounds um, or or the information that's inputting in their body like touch uh, and listening and voice changing those environments can also then change how the patient is feeling so what we need to do is observe you know what kinds of things can we infuse whether or not it's ourselves and our own breathing that will change the breathing of the other person or perhaps, again, using essences and the smell of the space. And there is a lot of research about smell and the olfactory part of the brain being able to really um, create a state in the body that has arisen from the smell, the experience of the smell, if it's soothing or grounding or creates memory, for example. Um, and very strong links with smell and and the mind mm. and it bypasses all of those logical pathways and all of the pathways that require words and language and comprehension I think mm. there's, a, there's a certain um, there's a certain power with with fragrances and mm. and um, and smells that can really strongly pacify mm. even a, the most agitated person Mm. which brings me to the idea of burning moxa and I've got a short little story I'd love to share but it's such a beautiful story and it it really opened up my um, awareness of using smell to change a patient's state um, but also just some interesting things about moxa um, so it would have been when I was in third year I ended up rescuing this kitten who was a Bengal cat, about four months old, and I didn't know what a Bengal cat was, but they are a crossbreed of like a tabby mixed with an Asian leopard cat. So I've got this Bengal kitten who's all distressed and has just been brought home to my house in a box after being rejected from wherever she was before. And she was hiding under my bed, and I just thought, how can I try and make this kitten feel at home? What can I use? Because, you know, we speak a different language... She's hiding under the bed where I can't really touch her yet, you know. Uh, and I thought, well, she's got the genetics of an Asian leopard, so in her smell memory, perhaps this cat lived on a mountain near a sage um, or had ancestors that lived on a mountain near a sage uh, and is familiar with the smell of moxa. So I lit up a bit of moxa and... Sure enough, the kitten came out from under the bed and lay right in the middle of the bed, started purring, relaxed, and basically told me that she was my spirit cat, you know. <laughs> um, but, but it was really just thinking about what can I use and what could connect to this, this cat, in this case had Chinese DNA, 
from the cat realm and, and what could I use and it was a smell and it was moxa. That's a great story. Yeah. I, I really like that story. I think animals definitely, um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of ways in which we communicate, you know, via um, physical cues and, you know, physical gestures that we use, but smells are definitely really, mm-hmm. really important for animals mm-hmm. in helping them to identify where they are and where they feel safe. And I think there's um, certain parts of our really primitive brain that has those same that same history yeah and if we look at the traditional methods that we we've drawn from outside of chinese medicine to look at how can we calm people change the setting of the space clear the space you know a lot of it is incense sage essential oils burning resins um using something to either fill the space with some kind of smoke and purify it by fire that way, as well as having a scent. Um, And I think in a lot of traditions, the scent is said to please the the spirit realm in some some way that can help to bring harmony to who and what might be in the space that's beyond what we can just see. Sometimes even just a very simple gesture of lighting a candle in honour of whatever entities or whatever energies might be around that can sometimes just symbolically I know a lot of a lot of practitioners who um, either light a candle at the start of the day or you know light a candle as part of their ritual with each patient mm. and I think that um, yeah just having something that works for you and that resonates for you that just helps you to connect with something greater it, I think that can be quite valuable. Yeah, that's really nice. I think whatever you do, it also needs to have some kind of language connection with the worldview or the experiences of the person who's in distress. So, you know, if they're in distress because their house caught on fire and you light a candle, it might not be their favourite element to calm them in that moment, the fire. But yeah, or the yeah. smoke from a moxicone that's right. on their belly. Yeah, <laughs> so then what else could we do? We could perhaps work with sound and touch and listening. And I think even just, um, I mean, we can certainly feel the pulse in a non-intrusive way and and using the pulse to guide some acupressure just to select some points mm. that are going to help to settle the pulse and just keeping your fingers there for a while until the person has kind of settled in and if it feels okay then to do some acupuncture. I think, um, I think the idea of um, the collective energy and um, that was something that I did talk about with the grieving patient that I mentioned um, before she, um, you know, we talked a little bit about her friend and, you know, various aspects of the friendship and um, and I think it was important for her to have someone to speak to about that. Um, but she, you know, she definitely, um, I was really drawn to reconnecting her to not only to herself but just to the world. And so I... Um, I had a few moxicones going on her on her belly on Ren 8 and um, just spoke to her about, I guess from a Chinese medicine point of view, we don't necessarily discuss it in, officially in the texts, but 
Um, it's a scar that everyone has and it's the original wound that we all have from that moment when we were born and that we were separated from everything that we knew and everything that was safe and out in the world and really scary and I guess that's something that um, that really connects us all in, in whatever form we're in, whether we're here or not here anymore. Um, and, and talking about that with her whilst we had the moxa going on her, Ren 8, was something that that was the key point for her to really feel settled and then after that it was okay to do some acupuncture on the shin calming points and I guess it's going to be different for every patient but yeah part of what we wanted to discuss today is what are some of the things that we found useful over the years that um, can help to transition a patient through that crisis that real fight flight yeah so we're not so much in this episode looking at addressing mental health um just shen distress you know like a, a delusional episode but more so just day-to-day distress and drama that people can go through um, it's really nice using the belly button the the original scar um also because there is that beautiful link between life and death and every time someone dies it brings up so much kind of curiosity or fear of the unknown or mystery to do with, well, we're only here in the life zone and we only really get to witness so much of what's going on in the life, the living zone, but either side of birth and death, um, you know, brings up all of these queries and feelings for us, so... I think that also really affects people when they are dealing with someone close to them having died. Yeah, so it's almost like you helped connect her with the other side by moxering the belly button, and that gave her some support because she was already being drawn to connect with the other side through this experience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. One of the beautiful techniques that I really like uh, comes from, for, well, from my experience, it comes from Reiki. However, there are a lot of different techniques that would incorporate this particular manoeuvre, and that is to place the palms of your hands um, somewhere on the person's body, which is the most natural thing to do when someone's in pain or suffering or when you want to make a gesture of care is to just put your hand on someone and and to leave it there as long as you can perceive that it's welcome and and it's helping and it's okay sometimes it's really important to check as well if someone's in distress and you know is it okay if I put my hands on you is that helping Um, and but one of the most powerful places to put your hands is under someone's occiput over the reptilian brain really and have them lie on their back and really drop the weight of their head into your hands, perhaps right over a pillow as well. Uh, and you'll feel their head, you'll actually feel their brain waves change from that. Um, my friend who's into neurochemistry calls it amygdala hijack. And the part of the brain in the amygdala, our really ancient um, part, is incited into action by something traumatic and that causes fear and adrenaline. And then you get all these neurochemical reactions and the whole thing cascades um, to then, you know, that's happening under the occiput, but to put your hands there for someone else and let them rest their weight, you'll feel the ticking of their mind actually slow down and at some point you can even feel it drop into quiet. 
and they might fall asleep or they might fall into that space where they're not quite asleep but they're they're aware of feeling like they're asleep um, and during that space that's kind of like inducing a meditative experience which can help to bring calm or clarity. I think it's interesting with, um, I mean, some of those ideas come from cranial mm. osteopathy, yeah. cranial osteopathy. That's what I mean. It's not just Reiki, and mm. you don't have to have learnt Reiki to put your hands on someone. I think all of us can do it. It's an inherent. But there are other, I find out every year another technique that involves putting your hands on someone's occiput to yeah. help them. And I think, you know, even within the framework of Chinese medicine, a lot of the points around that part of the, the head and neck are points that are considered to be um, entrance or possible entrance points for wind to come in and that yeah. that idea of external evil being able to penetrate the body and if you if you're resilient enough within your your wei chi and your energetic body that you can ward off you know all but the most mm. um, I guess virulent or you know the the strongest right. energetic insults. Yes, and we have the window of the sky points too all around the whole neck. Um, so helping people who are feeling like their head is disconnected from their body, and that can be the first place you go when you're in shock. Um, you know, either you're in your body having a physical experience and you can't think at all, or your mind is racing and you're not even aware that your body's going cold and clammy or going through its motions of panic and surprise and shock or heart beating. So, yeah, mm. putting the head back to the heart. The two number one places, or the three places I would go for with my hands would be the occiput, the heart, the belly, or the soles of the feet where you went with your essential oil and kidney one. Yeah, yeah, the extremes of the body mm. um, or, the, or the real centre of the, the body. Middle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, try and keep all those bits connected. Yeah, look, one thing I um, I want to bring up as well is that if you're, I guess I feel a sense of obligation and care for everyone in the clinic and um, if you ever do have um, someone that comes in and they've got something really big that's happened, um, if you have staff who work for you, they... Um, whoever's sitting at the reception desk, for example, they they may not be aware of these things, but they can still be affected. And I think it's also a really um, a really important thing to when you're considering how am I going to protect myself and how am I going to keep the space okay and how am I going to stop you know this person's energy from affecting the next patient who's going to be lying on this table in five minutes' time. How do I stop those energies interfering? But also, you know, every single one of these people interacts with with your receptionist who's going to be, you know, taking payments and making bookings. And um, But, the, you know, aside from that transactional stuff, there's all of the energetic exchange that happens as well. And, um, yeah, having, having a relationship with your receptionist where you can just randomly walk up and spray them with something or just sit some moxa next to them or some <laughs> incense or... You know, something that you can, um, or, yeah, in some way 
protect them, I think, is um, something to keep in mind as well. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. Sorry, I was laughing because I imagined you coming in with some big cleansing bucket and just randomly dumping it on us. But that's not what (laughs) she does. (laughs) More like lighting the incense, opening the door, checking in on everybody, spraying. We've got some wonderful room sprays as well, which combine essences with oils. We've got singing bowls, which can be played, or those beautiful Tibetan bells, which can be rung. I think sometimes the sound is also really good. I've left on chanting playing mm-hmm. in a space yeah. to clear it. Uh, sometimes it can take a few days, but that's more of a spatial cleansing issue. Um, but So we've got some other things here as well. We've got sage, which comes from the Native American tradition. You can also get Palo Santo from South America and burn these herbs. They work like incense, but they're more to do with purifying and some resins like copal from uh, Central America is one of my favorites, but also you've got frankincense, which is massive in the whole Catholic church. Um, and it's a beautiful smell to just fill the space with these smells. And frankincense is also a Chinese herb. Mm. So we might all have that in the clinic already. Yeah, um, I think also something that um, that can, can be quite empowering for the patient, they don't necessarily have to be a spiritual person, but just encouraging them to um, to visualise a protective light or a protective mesh around their, mm-hmm. around their body um, is something that can have really good effects as well. Okay, so let's talk about light work for a section because this is a favourite topic of mine and I have a history in guiding meditations and teaching a lot of this. I always caution people not to use white light because white has an opposite, which is black, and we don't really want to uh, go into a concept of protection through something that's dual, which really kind of can stir up the idea that you have something you need to be protected against. That's me versus the world. Um, whereas uh, I tend to advise golden white light. It doesn't really have such an opposite colour in such a binary fashion. Um, and it's warmer. And it also reflects the light that comes from our sun. So our actual photons that inform our life force and our chi come from this golden sun. I think that's important also because on an atomic level, our atoms did uh, first arise in a star too. So I'm mixing all this, you know, obviously cosmic language of stardust and light work, but bringing them from an actual scientific perspective into how can we apply them using visualisation in our mind to change our state. Um, And I've come to find those things quite important to use scientifically accurate observations as well because that may be really imperative in um, someone else believing in it Mm -hmm. Uh, as well as just fine-tuning all the edges where you're really working with a real world and you're working with real energy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that um, I definitely agree with you. I think the idea of having, um, well, certainly from the less experience that I've had with um, with meditation and visualisation that um, it always was um, explained to me that the best type of light was a golden or more of a golden hue mm. of light and that it wasn't always necessary to have like sometimes a mesh. A mesh protection was more suitable and more appropriate than 
imagining like this impenetrable right. layer <laughs> of energetic, you know, spikes. Um, that you know that there are still useful energies out there that we want to allow you know, some permeability for the good to come in. Yeah, I always go with an image where you're actually opening and filling your chakras, which is allowing whatever is negative to kind of pour out, as well as sealing some kind of, um, like, gate or perimeter at the outside, which has a form of intelligence, which knows, you know, what what in your higher self do you really want to allow in and not. Um, So... When we're looking at clearing spaces, though, or assisting people in distress by changing the space that they're in during their treatment, um, we can also just use our body and change our own state and our own breathing. Um, Even while you're taking someone's pulse, I've often noticed I take the pulse of someone who's nervous or anxious when they come in or even if they were running late and they were worried about it. And it can take just 30 seconds or so of touch on their pulse where it will change anyway because just from that touch, your more calm state is informing their body through entrainment, you know, entrainment. It's a word that means that, or or it talks about the concept in nature where um, frequencies will, of, of one part of nature or a natural object will, when they interact with the frequencies of other beings or objects, they will inform each other with their frequencies and that we don't operate on a level of lowest common denominator whereby the lowest frequency infuses the space, but rather the other way around where the higher frequencies can infuse the space. So if I'm... Um, and this is also how hypnosis can work. If I'm bringing my brain into a meditative state and I'm holding space for you, it's more likely that your brain waves will sync up with mine rather than yours draw mine into chaos. Mm, yeah. Well, particularly if you've got a clear intention and if you've got a really deliberate mm. Um, thing that you're trying to achieve then we we can do this with the roles that are delineated of practitioner patient totally yeah totally I think also like putting your um, if you're taking someone's pulse you're essentially giving them acupressure on their lung channel and so um, if if any if anything is interrupted there descending and dispersing of chi that um, that we're going to be assisting that just by taking their pulse. Do you ever give patients herbs during a treatment as well? They come in and you think, I'll just give them half a cup of gravy jam or something. Sometimes. Because I know Claire just did that for me before recording this episode. (laughs) um, Yeah, I I tend to... um, uh, I tend to just go with my intuition and um, sometimes I do things, I'm like, oh, it just sort of sparks me as being suitable for that person in that moment and um, and most of the time it um, it turns out really well to, to do things in that way. I don't have particular protocols or how would I decide on whether or not I'm going to do that. Um, I don't have any answers to that. Do you give people feed? Do you give people any herbs to take during... It, like even like in the first five minutes, it's so, like you need something. Yeah, sometimes I have. 
Um, sometimes it's okay, let's just go straight onto the table and start with the pulse and the touch. And somehow I will work with the points like you, even if it's not needling. And I would also have caution around needling when someone's already fragile. Um, but, uh, yeah, sometimes it, it may also come down to, I've done things before where you might just put a herb on a person's body mm, yeah. or on a point. Um, I haven't done that very often, but there have been certain situations that have inspired me to do that, and it must just be something that was correct for that person. Um, yeah. And then there's, there's also the other part of this topic, which is just to mention a bit about how do you take care of the whole space day to day? How do you mm. take care of yourself as a space before you start the day and the end of the day as well as the physical space and the staff? Yeah, I think that's a really important one um, and it's something that can, something that I have found if I don't take care of or keep an eye on what's happening in the space, it can really quickly just bring the whole clinic into disarray. Um, some of the markets, I guess, that I look for is how are the plants doing. Mm-hmm. Um, we have plants, usually two or more in each room, but at least one in every room, um, and they can be a really good litmus test on what's happening energetically, um, and even just keeping things tidy and not allowing too much mess and clutter to come about into the clinic and keeping it clear and clean, I think, is really important. Um, and sometimes, sometimes, and I've had discussions with the, um, reception and assistant staff as well, that, um, you know, sometimes if it just feels really gross in a room, if you walk in, you think, oh, what's happened in here? Just change all the sheets, just take everything off, strip it down, wash it all, like. Spray the room. Yeah. Play the bell. Totally. Ding the gong. Yeah, but I think all of the things that... (laughs) And then chant the Heart Sutra 108 times. (laughs) But yeah, I think all the things that we can do for our patients are things that we would do for the clinic space in general. You can burn essential oils in an oil burner and make sure that there's pleasant music music Mm -hmm. playing. I like to visualise a little bit around my energy body as well at the start and the end of the day. And one of the... um, shields I use when I particularly feel I need it would be to imagine four columns outside of my body or sometimes I use six because I have an issue with squares so that would make a more hexagonal shape around me and they're just columns of light um, and they kind of create this space around me whereby everything needs to be filtered at least by that light yeah um, because I don't want to block things out necessarily, but just um, being aware of that everything is passing through me. I work empathically. I'm I'm processing everything almost with a you know with a collective awareness all day. Yeah, mm, and even just simple things like washing your hands with intention mm. um, is something that is really useful for me. Mm. Um, that's something that I definitely do. I mean, you, you do that anyway, just through the course of um, hygiene in between seeing patients, but um, I think it's 
water is definitely a very simple way to cleanse energy and I just wanted to mention we're not doing all of this cleansing or protection because feelings and distress is yucky um, or dangerous even we're really just doing it um, really to help it be processed by the person who's experiencing it and we're bringing support into the space to bring light and clarity into the space because everybody in distress has perhaps a few things they need to become aware of or learn or realise through that experience. And it's their experience and it's their journey, it's not our journey. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a, it's a very common trap for people to fall into where they're feeling more responsibility than they need to in certain scenarios and... Um, You know, if someone comes in, it's our job to kind of contain, you know, keep keep their things separate to ours and allow space and containment for their process to unfold possibly in a more harmonious or it may not be more comfortable for them but in a more harmonious and unblocked way. Yeah. And that that doesn't involve us taking on their stuff Mm. because then we're taking away part of their lesson. And that's not fair for them. They might then need to go through something similar again later down the track if they didn't get the complete lesson. Mm. Um, And I think it's a really important distinction to make that you can be empathic and caring and really quite um, even create a space that's really devoted to your patients, but you can do that in a way that doesn't detract from them feeling what they're feeling. Yeah. It's important to feel feelings. Right, which brings me to our last bit for this topic, which is what do we do to follow up with a patient after they've experienced some kind of peak of distress? Um, So if it's someone we just see once during their distress um, or if it's someone that we're already seeing regularly and they just have a peak experience of, of distress... Do you tend to always make a point to follow up in a different way? Um, I, I tend to follow up with people. It, I really just do it in a very honest and non, like I don't try and force it. And often I'll either, um, I often text my patients, sometimes I'll email them. If I'm um, connected with them on Facebook, I might send them a Facebook message and it will be something just to the, similar to, you know, I was thinking of you, I hope you're okay, Uh, let me know if I can help you in any way or if I can be of assistance. And I just sort of keep it like that and I think a lot of people have told me that they appreciate just knowing that they're in my thoughts and I think that's just a nice connection to make. There's no, uh, you know, there's no need for them to necessarily reply to me but just to say, hey, you know what, I was just thinking of you and I hope you're okay. Yeah. What do, what do you I, do? I tend to err towards the email um, rather than the text message, but I think that's really just because I prefer to keep all the communications in one place. So, um, But definitely to just send a message that doesn't really ask anything of them but is uh, makes them feel welcome if they did want to continue that conversation with me um, that's more so relevant if they're not coming in again for treatment soon. Um, but if they're coming in again for treatment soon, either I would follow up with them in their next appointment would be my first question is, you know, how are you, how did the week go for you or how are you feeling today, where are we at? 
um, just to check in that there's a continuity there um, and they may need ongoing continued assistance, including these types of um, extra techniques that we've discussed. As we go, I've definitely Reiki'd a number of patients who come for acupuncture have never even heard of Reiki and they end up getting Reiki after we have a talk. Um, and they come and ask for it again and really respond to those things that really just soothe the body through touch or smell or sound. Mm. One thing that I would like to mention and that our listeners don't know this yet, but we have the spirit of an old Chinese medicine man who um, has resided in our clinic for a number of years now. And he also comes in and does a little bit of um, needling on patients. Sometimes people will say, oh, what about that needle in my foot? There's no needle in their foot, but they felt an acupuncture needle in their foot. Um, and he's, he's currently doing a little bit of... Um, <laughs> He's doing something to my head, which feels nice. But um, if you've got some friendly spirits in your clinic as well, then a lot of the time it can be suitable to bring your patients into that awareness because in times like this, then that's when these spirits sometimes feel like they want to be useful and come and do things with your patients. And if you've got a good relationship with them, that, um, that can be quite beneficial Right, but how? I mean, that's almost a topic for a, for another another time. But yeah, that's, that's we will a, come back to that. <laughs> I think we've already got it in our planning to come back to something like that. Yeah, yeah, which ties in nicely. I'm going to loop it right back to the beginning, back to cats. <laughs> when I used to work from home, this cat, the very same cat that has the um, the smell connection with some ancient sage burning moxa on a mountain in China. She used to come and sit in the treatment room in the house when I had patients, but she would lie under the bed, often choosing the part, she'd lie under the body part that seemed to be most relevant. Mm. Um, and so, you know, sometimes she was under their feet, sometimes under their belly, and I would always have to check it during those days when I worked at home for patients that had any cat allergies, but I did... We got pretty lucky there, and just the number of people that received healing from there being an animal there as well. Mm, yeah. Um, and the, how loved and soothed they felt that the animal responded to them in a healing manner by choosing to come in and just lay under the table really quietly and purr, yeah. you know, but under the sonny or under the gut issues or whatever. Yeah. Um, so we can have all kinds of assistance. <laughs> yes, that's definitely a topic for another time. Okay. Well, I guess we'll wrap this one up, but I hope you got a lot out of this topic, everybody, because we have seen a number of threads on the forums of acupuncture, people asking, what do you do to clean the space? What do you do, you know, with distress and these things? So I hope that was helpful for you, and you can join in in the discussion about this topic if you've got anything you'd like to add please do on our facebook page it's the heaven michi page on facebook and thanks for listening we look forward to hearing from you and all of your ideas on what you do to clean your space and help your patients when they're in distress okay bye for today bye for now